Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. The aim of the podcast is to give you usable content for you if you're a health and fitness enthusiast or for your clients if you're a health and fitness professional. With different points of view and a little bit of fun, we break down information to give insights that empower and hopefully inspire through a lens of longevity and pain-free living for everyone. So stay tuned and enjoy. Welcome to the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. My name's Ben McDonald and I am here with Andrew Meyer and we have a special guest, a special guest today. He is one of my favourite people, his favourite is the word, I think it is, I think it is, I'm going to say it anyway. One of my favourite is people, it is Robert Galeen. How are you, Robert? Very good, man. How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm just cracking on, mate, living the dream. How's things for you, Andrew? Everything's great, man. Everything's great. Hey, Bob, just so that the guys listening or watching know what's going on, will you just give us a little bit of background about what it is that you do, mate, as far as like in your professional life? And you can add a little bit of private life in there as well if you want. <laughs> no problem. For about 15 years, I've been doing a lot of massage therapy, and then I've been acquiring different modalities on the side to be like a movement strategist. Whatever the body needs, I sort of provide, whether it be stretching, whether it be fast stretch therapy, whether it be cranial sacral therapy, whether it be visceral therapy, whether it be lymphatic drainage, whether it be, the list goes on. So whatever the, whatever the body needs, whatever someone comes in with, sometimes they're like, oh, you know what, can I get a massage? And I'm like, well, let's just see what the body needs. And then if it needs that, no problem. If it doesn't, let's explore, you know? And then they feel better for it. Fantastic, my mate. Robert say, uh, an instructor on a stretch to win fascial stretch therapy level one and level two as well, which is great. He brings a little bit of uh, spice, <laughs> a little bit of spice to FST. So we are here to recap or do our little round table. But because it's three of us, this might be more of a, like a triangular table. That's yeah? Good. Triangular yeah, table. Triangular table. Yeah. I like that. I think that's pretty good. And we'll use that again. Uh, triangular table on the breath series that we've just completed. So we had Patrick McKeown, we had Rob Wilson from the Art of Breath, and we also had Jennifer and Thane Blunston from Calgary, who uh, were the uh, dentist guys and looking after teeth and all that, which I found really interesting. So, Andrew, what did you take away? Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with? Uh, do you want to start with Patrick? Let's start with Patrick. I start think Patrick. he's like the, the OG, is the daddy. You know what I mean? So let's yeah. go with Patrick. Before I even say Patrick, overall, because everyone talked about it, was uh, the big thing was CO2 tolerance um, and the importance of CO2 tolerance. Understanding that the urge to breathe is not that your body is craving oxygen. It's actually triggered from uh, wanting to release carbon dioxide. I think that that's a big piece and, and everything we covered from there stems, stems from that. So that was my bit, the biggest takeaway that I had kind of from everyone. Now with Patrick, Patrick made a comment, athletes train everything. And I thought that that was an excellent way uh, when you start talking about the, the topic of breath with people, because everyone looks at athletes like they've got the answer. Uh, they must be doing something, they're, they're, they're at the, the top end. But we often know with athletes, often they need a little bit more simplicity. If you want to train like an athlete, athletes train everything. Breath is one of those things. And one of the things that, that he talked about that I, that I really liked was the idea of diaphragmatic fatigue. So when you don't train your diaphragm, and it actually begins to fatigue, how that affects blood flow. So uh, diaphragmatic fatigue can rob the extremities. So he mentioned the legs, can rob extremities of blood flow and oxygen, which ultimately will affect your performance. So 
if you're somebody who's, who's got a life goal of running a marathon, if you actually want to do your best, working on breath is a crucial component to that. Fantastic. I like it, mate. I like that. I like that. What about you, Bobby G? What do you take away from uh, Patrick? Yeah, I was probably the same thing. You know what? The amount of carbon dioxide output, great as, as it should be. A lot of the times uh, when clients come in, they normally are so flexion dominant and all this kind of frontal net sort of like contraction that we usually have in, in the front of our chest bleeds right into the diaphragm. And sometimes when I go in and I check underneath those ribs, even just like the smallest palpation, a lot of the time they usually have sensations of like pain, uh, discomfort and everything else. But a lot of that time, if you kind of free up that tissue with very, very slow breath to blend in with what Patrick was saying, um, I find as though it's really, really crucial just to sort of open up that sort of frontal line. So then all of a sudden they don't have to always be gravitated forward, impounding that sort of posterior chain. Yeah. And do you know what I find quite interesting? Um, like we did the course with Patrick, the Oxygen Advantage is Patrick's book and it's his course as well. He does a, he does a full training. It's like a three-day thing, three-day on breathing. It's like flipping Eka 40 and it down, do you know what I mean? I've been doing it for a while, but uh, like we went in and it was phenomenal stuff. Patrick is like a walking encyclopedia of research. And he's like, oh, well, there was this study done in 1972. There was uh, so many people in it and blah, blah. And he's just phenomenal, the amount of stuff that he knows. And as Andrew said, the key thing that I took away from absolutely everything, including Patrick's, when you dial it right back to the basics, everybody is talking about CO2 tolerance and how that affects, and as a knock-on effect, a cascade effect, if you will, to absolutely everything else that we do. We can actually impact that and retrain it. You know, if you look at like the component of the brain, the component of the brain that sort of measures the, the amount of CO2 in the blood is actually quite closely linked to your smell, your sense of smell. So in essence, what the body does, it goes like this. And it smells the city, you know what I mean? I was like, oh yeah, that's great. We can retrain that and reset it almost to improve our CO2 tolerance and everything else sort of drops into, uh, drops into line. With Patrick as well, I think when he starts getting into the athlete scenario, coming from a, a, the combat sport background, he's trained with or he's utilized this sort of stuff with a lot of athletes and a lot of uh, fighters where it's essential that they get recovered. You have a minute, that's it. So you have got to be as maximally recovered in that time as you can possibly be. Uh, and we covered this on, on our DCS level one. We look at the bore effect. So the release of oxygen from your hemoglobin, which carries it around the blood, by the level, carbon dioxide has to be at a certain level to allow the hemoglobin to release the oxygen. And people think, oh, do you know what? That contributes to energy. It contributes to X, Y, and Z. Yeah, it does. But what it also contributes to is recovery rate. The amount of oxygen that you can release and absorb will inhibit or it will speed up your recovery. Do you see where I'm going with it? So it's just interesting when you start getting into it, something that we do every day 20,000 times a day can have such a massive impact on everything else that we do. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Absolutely. Patrick's fantastic. And when he, start, when he was on course, it was actually funny because he's like, one of the biggest things when it comes to CO2 tolerance is talking. And it was like, all right, he said, so I'm going to talk. I'm going to talk to everybody. Uh, I'm going to do this full presentation. However, at lunchtime and at break time, 
please do not speak to me because I'm going to be nasally breathing for the entire break time and lunch time, right? And I was like, that's brilliant. I mean, he wasn't being funny. He was just saying, because I want to, I don't want to like change my CO2 tolerance and all this, that and the other. I was like, I said, that's fair enough. And he came over to me at lunchtime. He had a question and he goes, uh, he comes over and he asked me something. I said, Patrick, are you talking to me now? I'm trying, I'm trying to nasally breathe it. You know what I mean? Just funny. It was just funny. So I thought he was pretty cool. Brilliant. So we had Patrick. Patrick was excellent. All right. Key thing that you took away from Rob Wilson. Andrew, key thing you took away from Rob. Uh, Rob talked about something that, that I've never heard anyone else really mention before. And he talked about changes in breath performance based off the person's position. Rob, I, I know that this is something that you probably deal with quite a bit. So you'll have, you'll have uh, some insights. So he mentioned yoga's a little bit ahead of the curve with this in that they do breathing techniques in different, different positions and how that's, how that can be beneficial. So to perform at your best, you have to be able to maintain that breath performance in different positions. So when you're in almost every sport is dynamic, right? I think it was Rob mentioned that uh, that's pretty much the definition of a sport is some sort of dynamic movement and maintaining, maintaining your performance during some sort of dynamic movement. So I, I thought that that was interesting, having people focus on their breath, how that actually moves forward. So instead of just focusing on VO2 max, um, and just trying to work harder and harder and harder, you can actually work on being more efficient to kind of bring up the baseline so that you can perform better. So essentially when you have a good CO2 tolerance, uh, your performance doesn't necessarily have to drop because you can, um, as you're dynamically moving between positions in your sport, um, you have the tolerance um, and the ability to actually release oxygen. So you never actually have any sort of dip in energy and it doesn't throw off your breath pattern. So if you're in a position where maybe there might be a, a slight hold, it doesn't throw off anything in terms of your performance. It's like breath hold. Rob's course is um, the art of breath. So he covers a lot of that stuff where he's like, you know, let's find optimal position for breathing. Once you've got that, then we have to train it, train breathing in a compromised position. Because most of the time that you, not most of the time, but a lot of the time that you spend breathing is not in an ideal position. You know, it may be sat in an office chair. It may be, as you say, Andrew, performing a sporting activity. But we need to train in suboptimal conditions so that you know how to, your body knows how to respond to it. I will give like a personal experience that I recently had because I've been working on uh, my VO2 max. When I do the beep test, when we calculate it out, I can get uh, around a 48 VO2 max. And that's me, you know, I, I can do most of it through my nose until the very end. So I, I can actually focus on my breathing and controlling my breath and, and having certain uh, cadence. Ben and I recently went to the Cleveland Clinic and I did my VO2 max on a machine and I had to wear the mask. And I was excited to do it because I was like, oh, like I, I want to see how, how the numbers add up. But the mask that I was wearing, you know, it doesn't restrict airflow, the one that I was wearing, but it just sat a little bit lower. It kept kind of dropping down on my nose. So it was just slightly blocking my ability to take in air through my nose. Uh, so I reached an uncomfortable level where I couldn't breathe through my nose anymore, uh, much sooner. And I just said, Oh, you know what, for me to get through this, I have to breathe through my mouth and my performance dropped uh, quite a bit. I think I got like a 40, a 45. That was interesting. Like right there, I, I noticed a, a dramatic difference just by not being able to, to, to focus on my breathing with my VO2 max. So it just shows you that just by focusing, working on heart, like working harder, doesn't always do it. Sometimes it's also working smarter. Yeah, hundred percent. And you see that, Bobby, eh? Uh, Andrew's just starting to bang out a load of excuses as to why his VO2 max was lower 
in the testing when it actually counted. You know what I mean? It's like me. Do you know what? When I deadlift at home and nobody's watching, I can deadlift like a thousand and fifty pounds. That's my one rep max. But when everybody else is watching, like it drops like to more than half of that. It's crazy. I think it has something to do with me, uh, me breathing or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it's the uh, shorts that I was wearing and a bit tight. You know. Not competitive. <laughs> We're not competitive at all, no. Sort of to piggyback onto what you're saying, especially what Rob was going through, and this is just to sort of uh, complement it to my environment as well. Uh, a lot of the time people come in and they're still, they still want to be quotation comfortable. So they, they always want like two pillows behind their head or a pillow behind their head because they feel as though they, they need to be comfortable in order to do certain things, uh, whether it be muscle tests, whether it be whatever it is. But the idea of that head being forward is exactly the same thing as all of us standing and, and pushing forward and actually creating that sort of constriction on the trachea and everything else. And people don't really realize even that breathing, breathing that position or even sleeping in that position. Just before you go to bed, people are watching Netflix and watching TV and putting two pillows behind your head and closing off the amount of oxygen and, and the CO2 levels that you, that you can actually take in. And it, it's so impactful that sometimes I find as though I have to train the person in their comfortable position first and then start to take it away slowly so that all of a sudden that neuroplasticity kicks in, you know? Yeah, yeah, I see what, and I think that's a key piece of what Rob does. It's like, yes, you have to train. You have to be in a position where you can focus on the retraining once the retraining is good, then we also have to be able to carry that over into positions of daily living or whatever it may be, you know, activities of daily living. Rob was a, not was, he still is a very interesting character. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, he's taken this stuff from very, very high level. So even training like special forces guys, does a lot of training with those types of, in those types of environments, military environments. And then taking it all the way back and stripping it all the way back to kids who've got anxiety. He's involved in a research study at the moment where they're looking at breathing and how it impacts anxiety levels in kids. And I think that is a crazy, interesting piece. And I think it ties into what Jen and Dane were talking about. And we'll cover that in a minute. But as far as like activation of the parasympathetic or the rest and digest, as opposed to the fight or flight, I think that breathing is a big component that people miss. And it's something that's such that is low hanging fruit. You know what I mean? It's, you can retrain it relatively easily, especially nasal breathing. It's a conscious effort a lot of the time. I mean, you have to be a real outlier. I've got like a, a deviated septum and I can still flame me like breathe through my nose, no problem. My son has got nostrils that are massive like that and he can breathe through his nose, absolutely no problem. But a lot of the time, it's just a conscious effort in order to retrain that pattern. And it can flip you straight from being more sympathetic into more parasympathetic response. And I'm really interested to see how that research pans out that Rob's doing, because I think it's gonna, that'll be a, a big piece, you know? Yeah, for sure. Cool. So, Rob, from the Art of Breath, excellent. Last but by no means least, and this one was interesting. They were all interesting, but this one was like, I was like, what? This one was cool. So Jennifer and Thane Blunston, uh, the guys who have the dental practice out in Calgary. What did you take away from that? Let's flip it on its head and let's say, Bobby G, what did you take away from that? You know what? The idea of where the, that sort of sweet spot is for the tongue, that was a key piece for me because whenever you think that you're breathing properly, even if I check my children, my children's tongues, their mouths are open. They're looking at TV, 
they're always, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's always like a, you think they're just breathing hot air, you know? And um, I find as though where that tongue, that placement of the tongue is, is so crucial to how exactly what Jen and, and Thane was talking about, just in terms of the spine alignment. It's so crucial to see how, um, if you look on the plumb line, if someone's actually breathing properly and they had their tongue, they had the tongue in that little sweet spot, they're actually more aligned than anything else. So, I mean, that was the, my key piece that I took away from that whole thing. That was, it was super interesting, eh? And yeah. then I think what we need to do is, as like a, a lot of the guys who are li- listening to this are going to be like personal trainers, but also in the, for themselves as well. If you can take this, like stuff like can, you may be working with an adult, but then you can transfer that information to the kids or the nephews or nieces or whatever it may be. You can continually add value. You can affect people on a level where you may have not had personal interaction with them, but the information that you pass on to people may affect them further on down the line. Do you see what I mean? And I think um, the tongue position piece was excellent because Patrick also spoke about uh, a lot of that on the course. And what I found interesting was he said, same as Jen and Thane, when you breathe through your nose and your tongue's in its home position, your windpipe should be about the size of your thumb, the diameter of your thumb. When you breathe through your, no- your mouth and your tongue falls away, it can close that windpipe to the size of a cocktail stick. And I just thought that it's crazy. And then people go, in, in order to get around it, they have to shoot their head forward to optimize their airway. Like I say, we covered this on DTS level one, but it's like you can do all the postural work you want, lengthen, strengthen, blah, 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 do all these pieces, but something as straightforward as just breathing through your nose can help, like you say, Bobby, with that postural alignment is crazy. Another thing that she said about the sweet spot was when the tongue's in the sweet spot and it activates that uh, parasympathetic response and chills you right out. If you've got a kid who's a mouth breather, that's why you see a lot of them sucking the thumbs. Yeah. And I was like, what? And she says, yeah, because the tongue's not against the roof of the mouth. So what they do is they shove the thumb in the mouth and press against that sweet spot so that it chills them right out. And then you see them sleeping with the thumb in the mouth. And you're like, I was like, what is that all about? I thought that is brilliant. That's why it's so difficult uh, for kids to sort of um, get out of that habit of sucking the thumb. I thought that is cool. So I think the information that we take away from stuff like that, yeah, we might be dealing with somebody who's 40, 50, 60, like whatever age, but if they've got kids, grandkids, nephews, nieces who are sucking the thumb or who have uh, crowded jaws or all these different things associated with this breathing, you could just impact a ton of people with it dead straightforward. I thought it was super cool. The fact that when we breathe in, our cranial bones in our head, they're always moving. You know, there's research saying that they continue to move for about 70 years. And then after 70 years, they start to solidify. But a lot of the time, sometimes when I'm, when I'm doing little manipulations to the cranial bones, and this is something a little bit different. I don't want to go on different tangents, but a lot of the time I need to ask them to give a, a little upward pressure on their palate. And that will help push the ethmoid and that will help recenter the sphenoid and all this kind of stuff. Like it's, it's a big hole, man. <laughs> <laughs> It's a proper big hole with loads of rabbits in it. What did you what did you take away, Andrew? I mean, similar stuff. I thought the tongue the tongue stuff was fascinating. I mean, they referred to it as like the the rudder of the spine. Um, I thought that that was that, that was a good analogy. For me, my wife and I have a, a child on the way, and I had a similar lens that both of you guys did, where, where I was thinking a little bit about the child development part. 
it was brilliant that they were also dentists. Like I thought that that was a nice contrast. So we had, you know, these two uh, awesome breathing experts that are, that are deep into the research. And then we had um, somebody from the, the, the dentist side that's actually practicing seeing patients and things like that. So it was nice to see kind of the, the information come together there. And one of the things I took away was the, the effects on jaw development when a person has poor breathing patterns. So, you know, having the jaw hang and how that affects a child's development over time, how it can affect the alignment of their teeth and, and all of that. I thought that that part was very fascinating. I had braces as, as a child. Nobody ever talked to me about, we're going to put these braces on, we're going to straighten your teeth, but you also have to start closing your mouth and breathing through your nose. You know, nobody talked about that. It was just, we'll slap these braces on. Your teeth might shift again later on in life. So, you know, if we want to, we'll put a wire on, we'll give you a retainer, but nothing about for this to last or for this to stick, this might be something that we have to address and it's your breathing pattern. So I thought that that part was, was excellent um, as a parent to be. I thought that there were some golden nuggets in that, in that interview. Jen actually came and did DTS level one. So we started talking about breath and she was like, oh yeah, I do a lot of this breath. I do a lot of breathing. And then we found out a little more about her. I was like, this is cool, mate. So she's doing all the potato stuff, but he, like, I can't remember the exact terminology, but I believe it's, oral myofascial re-education or retraining that's what she does so even stuff like retraining the lips retraining the tongue position all these different pieces it was just flaming phenomenal the stuff that she was coming out with i found it super super interesting that one i thought it was great no no less interesting than the others but just a something that you'd never even heard like thought of before it was just some some great stuff you know definitely Another nice thing that, that I'm glad that she mentioned was uh, nasal breathing and, and nitric oxide and how that can really affect uh, blood pressure and things like that. I think there's a lot of people out there that, uh, you know, they're chronic snorers, they get poor sleep, they're, they're mouth breathers, and they, they go see their doctor. And they also have, a, you know, a blood pressure level that's, that's climbing every year that they go see their, their doctor. So that's, that, that's a piece that, that gets over, uh, overlooked often. Um, and people, you know, forget to look at kind of the holistic view of, you know, if we can just fix the, your breathing pattern, that'll help your snoring, that'll improve your sleep, uh, you'll get more nitrous oxide, you'll get better recovery, and we'll probably see an improvement in your blood pressure. So just to hear her also mention that I thought was, was also uh, another nugget that uh, gets overlooked that a lot of personal training clients would, would benefit from. And you know what? We know that everything ties in together. Everything ties in together. So from this first series, the first podcast series when we did the How to Get Lean and Ben Pratt was on, and he spoke about how important sleep is. And he was saying, yeah, you know, a poor night's sleep, your caloric intake can increase by 400 calories the following day. I was like, what is that all about? You know what I mean? But if you key that into poor breathing patterns and sleep apnea, like what you're saying, Andrew, a little bit of snoring or whatever, you may not wake up fully, but you are definitely not getting that full restful night's sleep, which has a knock-on effect to absolutely everything else that you're doing. I just think breathing is a, a fundamental component that sometimes can be overlooked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely, definitely. To piggyback on that too, like I just find as though you show, show the people the importance of breathing well, and then they'll do it. Patrick was saying this too, that a lot of the stuff is, sorry, that a lot of stuff that we're instilling in people is actually quite simple. They may not think about the importance of it. Because it's too simple. Yeah. And I found that to be really interesting. So like piggybacking on what everyone's saying, just bringing them back to essentials, bringing them back to true foundation of, of what breathing is. Yeah, I like it, my mate. I like it. Any little extra pieces, any bits and bats that you would like to finish up with, guys? For the audience, they may not know, but Ben's our, our, our breath guy at DTS. He's also our combat specialist as well. Uh, so Ben... 
in one of the interviews, you started talking about, you know, in combat sports, everyone's focused on power output and, and different things like that. So I wanted to ask you so that we can get a good knowledge applied piece from this breath stuff. How can a power athlete, so it could be a combat athlete, but there's also other sports, right, where they need a high, high power output, but there may be breaks in when they require high uh, power output. So maybe in football, um, it might be a, a six second play followed by a, a short period of recovery and then, and then back at it. There's lots of sports like that. So how can a, a power athlete improve their power delivery, um, not just their power output? And by that, I mean, by improving their CO2 tolerance and breath performance, that will then allow the athlete to deliver maximum power repetitively uh, or more frequently over, over a duration of time. So what does that look like for a power athlete? What might they do and start with? I think one of the key things when you look at uh, improving power delivery, as opposed to improving power output, focusing on power delivery, as far as breathing goes, is all about breath timing. You want to time your breathing. Like if you look at a fighter, when they're going to land a shot, they'll be re- it'll be relaxed. So all relaxed. And as the shot lands, it'll be a, uh, it'll be a, uh, 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 whatever they want to do. Boom. Just as the, as they make contact, they'll increase abdominal or intra-abdominal pressure by doing like a little forced exhale with the breath. They won't be landing and inhaling or landing and exhaling like everything it'll be a, a little forced exhale just as it land the shot so same with um if you're hitting someone into the boards in hockey yeah so as you get to them it's a little boom you'll give you'll get a little tighter increase into abdominal pressure just as you hit the person and then you relax again and skate off same with rugby american football like every single thing that you do is breathing timing so if you can time your breathing even with um Resistance training, so weight training. As you're lifting the weight, it used to be, oh, exhale on the exertion. But really, it, it needs to be something a little more active. Do you see what I'm saying? In order to, um, to give you that support mechanism for the low back, which will ramp up neural drive and help you to express more power. Your body will be like, oh, do you know what? I'm good to go because you can't fire a cannon from a canoe. So what you want to do is make sure that this is timed in the, that breathing, that uh, that forced exhale is timed right at the right moment so then you can let the cannons go. Gotcha. So when you say delivery, you mean to make sure that everything's timed and working optimally so that you can actually uh, not just generate it, but actually have it transfer into whatever it is that you're doing. That's what you 100%, mean. 100%. 100%. Because what people do, this is where people go a little bit like off on a tangent they focus, focus, focus all the time on power output. Mm-hmm. I, need to out, I need more power output, more power output, more power output. What you need to focus on is the actual amount of power that you can deliver. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Because it, it, like when I train a fighter, I'll make sure that there's no kinks anywhere in the chain. Everything is just like maximally sorted so that the power that you generate can all be delivered. If you generate more power or more force and you've still got a kink in the chain, be it like intra-abdominal pressure, be it a deviation at the wrist, no matter what it is, it doesn't suddenly clear that up. It just exacerbates. It makes it a little worse. You end up beating yourself up. So what you want to do is clear all the kinks in the chain, make sure that you can deliver everything that you can generate. And then once you've got that down, then look at increasing the power you generate. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, so that'd be my main thing. So with, when it comes to breathing, that is all about timing your breath. And then what, one more thing, because most of our audiences are personal trainers. What can a personal trainer do with their client in session to improve their, their performance in session using breath techniques? Yeah, I, do you know what? And it really depends. It depends whether you're doing more of a cardiovascular-based session, endurance-based session, or whether you do more resistance-based session. If you're doing more of a resistance-based session, then it would be your biggest mechanical disadvantage is where you would want to ramp up intra-abdominal pressure. So wherever it is that you need to reel it, like uh, let's say a kettlebell swing, at the top of a kettlebell swing where the kettlebell's out in front, boom, that's where you want to be like, everything's like lit up, everything is engaged, you do a little, a little forced exhale to make sure that you're solid in the top of that position. For the deadlift, it might be as the bar comes off the ground. Just as you take the tension out of the bar, a little as you just to get to put the momentum into the bar to overcome that initial inertia. If it's endurance-based training that your client's doing, then what you would want to do is keep them nasally breathing for as long as possible during the, uh, the exertion and then get them nasally breathing as quickly as possible in the recovery to increase the board effect and get more oxygen absorption so that they can, that they can uh, recover quicker. Excellent. I think that's great. A couple of little bonuses for you right there when it comes to, uh, when it comes to sort of breathing in session and with your clients. So boys, it has been an absolute pleasure to recap another really interesting series, which was our breath series. Thanks again to Patrick, to Rob and to Jen and Thane for coming on and, and giving up their time to give us these little nuggets, golden nuggets of information. And thank you, uh, Bobby, as well for coming on and taking a little time out of your day as well, my mate. Thanks for the invitation. Excellent. Uh, and thanks to you, Andrew. If anybody's watching this, Andrew's wearing a lovely plaid shirt like a lumberjack. Normally, Andrew wear, likes to wear a cardigan, but today he thought he'd go a little, uh, he put his civvies on, he'd go a little street with his plaid. A little less urban, a little less urban, a little more, uh, call it a little more lumberjack. Today. <laughs> I, like <it. laughs> I like it when you're referring to a cardigan as urban. <laughs> I suppose which, it all depends which streets you, you, you know what I mean? Which streets you're rolling down, Andrew, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right then, boys. Thank oh, you very much once again. And I'm going to finish it with a... Goal! DTS Fitness Education! That was the DTS Fitness Education Podcast. You can follow us on social media or visit us at dtsfitnesseducation.com for more knowledge applied. Remember, there's a new episode weekly. So thanks for listening and go DTS Fitness Education!